Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. How fun. I, I want to celebrate uh, Kirsten. This is Kirsten, by the way. Uh, Jessica Orlander and every other ministry out representing the lobby uh, this, this church is amazing and incredible. Uh, the staff leadership, I just, wow, amazing, amazing, amazing. And they put this on, this was their idea, because they wanted to invite people uh, to opportunities to serve. And, uh, and so it, it's honestly about time uh, that we got a little bit more clear and a little bit more um, uh, intentional about inviting people to serve. Uh, and you guys probably have heard me say it before, I've always had a little bit of a hesitation uh, for service invites uh, because I wanted people to do it out of love, not out of obligation and duty. And so uh, that's my reminder the whole time we're doing this is to be moved and mobilized by love, uh, not by duty and obligation, but by love, by passion. So ask God, hey, God, what do you want to do through me? What's that look like? Who do you want to serve through me? It's absolutely a part of your Christian walk and amazing, but ask God about what that looks like. So uh, if our leaders haven't passed the buckets for uh, the tithe and offering, I want to invite them to do that. Thank you so much for your giving, guys. You're really, really amazing. I'm so grateful for you. Uh, this is an amazing house, amazing church. I just realized that a couple people put pretzels in my pocket in the lobby. So there we go. I got some pretzels in my pocket. Uh, so I've got some snacks while I'm preaching, you know, because sometimes you get hungry up here, you know. And um, so I'm really grateful for that. And I am so impressed by what comes from people's life when they serve and the impact. It's better to give, give uh, than to receive, it says in the Bible. And this much can be seen when you do give. You experience this incredible windfall of blessing, even if it's just emotional. Uh, there's an incredible windfall, and it's hard to document. I, I don't necessarily want people to do it for that reward, because uh, I think love has you doing it, uh, even if there is no reward at the end of the rainbow. Uh, but nonetheless, there is a great blessing in giving. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to find those inroads from your life directly into community uh, for intentional giving and serving. Uh, Jesus called us to serve and to love. So that's the calling. That's the cultivation. That's the provocation in this community is to do those things Today, though, I'm going to be preaching on God's presence. This will be the second week I'm talking about God's presence. And specifically, I'm going to be talking about spirit and truth, or God's presence and truth. Uh, and so we're going to be playing with these two terms uh, in Scripture, understanding them, the dynamic between one another. So you could write it down if you're a note taker, uh, any manual note takers on pen and paper. Anybody out there, right there? Are you still there? That's awesome. You ever think about in 50 years, we're probably not going to be writing anything? Isn't that interesting? I'm excited for that day. Uh, but for those of you still there, uh, we write. Uh, and so uh, spirit and truth. Now, there's one God, one spirit. So when we're talking about the different parts of God, we're not talking about fractured parts. We're not talking about uh, separate parts. It's all a part of one God. So we separate these two words out, not because God is divided or separate, uh, but just for us to understand these two dynamics uh, in relationship with God. He is spirit and he is truth. 
Uh, and so there's an interaction between God uh, and us in spirit, uh, and there is a relationship we have to truth. Now, I'm going to be really, really clear with you guys. What you believe to be true is, is only part of what is absolutely true in God, right? So his ways are higher. His thoughts and intellect are higher than ours. So the truth that God perceives and or is is greater than the truth we currently carry. Uh, so we yearn, we yearn and we long to have the mind of Christ, have the intellect of God, uh, but it is a process of growth. It's a process of renewing our mind in Romans 12 too. Uh, you'll probably hear me at different points. If it's your first Sunday here, you'll hear me reference Romans 12, Romans 12 too many different times. And it talks about the renewal of the mind and transformation that comes from it. All that to say is that God's truth is the highest and it's something we are growing to understand and realize in our life. So let's start in scripture and let's identify in John 6, or excuse me, 424, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, when it's talking about worship here, it's not just talking about that thing we do on Sundays that's music related, right? That's just a part of worship. Even the worship team will tell you that a life of worship is exactly that. It's a life committed to God, expressing godliness, living out in all of its ways uh, this, uh, this expression of God, this connection to God. So worship is a lifestyle. It's not a musical expression alone. The musical expression is totally a part of it. It's beautiful. It's all throughout psalms, songs, and singing, and instruments, and all these amazing things are in there. So it's a part of it, but it's only a part of a life of worship. So when it's saying that we're going to have this life that is spiritually connected and true, and this is what we're going to be understanding is that the presence of God is got an absolute outcome to it. There's fruit that comes from being present with God. And a life lived present with God is a life that has transformation, that begins to act like God, talk like God, think like God, have an attitude like God. So when you spend time with God, you begin to be more like God. This is a very natural byproduct of time spent with God. Have any of you got a, a friend at some point and you realized, and this would happen much more, I think, when we were young, but you get that friend and you start acting like them? Did you ever do that? I started laughing like one of my friends and only realized it like six months later when someone told me, they're like, hey, you laugh like so-and-so now. And I was like, you're right. I'm never going to do that again. But you, but you get a friendship and you spend a lot of time with someone and you start to pick up on their mannerisms, you start to pick up on their snorts or whatever, and uh, their little tics maybe, and, and you just start acting like them naturally as you spend time with them. And the, this, the dynamic with, is the same with God is that you spend time with him and you begin to act like him. You begin to feel like him. You begin to think like him. And you begin to interact with him and exchange conversations and ideas. And you begin to realize what he is. And then you begin to realize what he isn't that you currently are. And uh, if you've spent any amount of time with God, you should have recognized at this point that he is holy and that you are in process and you are in a sanctification journey with the Lord. You're not exactly like him yet. You long to be, but you're not exactly like him yet. You've still got some foibles. 
You still got some weaknesses you're working out, maybe some sin patterns, maybe some bondage and brokenness. Uh, and you've got these things, so it can be a really interesting effect. I'm setting the foundation uh, for us to understand that when we're, we're, when we're in relationship with God and we're interacting with the presence of God, it's really vital that we do it in a truthful manner. And this is an interesting uh, invitation, right? If I say to you as a Christian, look, interact with God's presence in a truthful way. It, it's an invitation for you to not conceal parts of your nature that aren't yet like him. So if you're a rageaholic or if you're a bitter person or if you're a liar, my invitation to you in relationship with God is not to conceal that or attempt to conceal it and come to him in a disingenuous way, in an insincere way, but my invitation to you is come to him as you are. So, you, you know, you're not going to stay the same, but don't lie about who you are. So when you're interacting with God, interact with him in a true way. Who are you right now truly? And so let's identify some scriptures that begin to help us understand what comes of this relationship with God in his presence and being truthful. So Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him. And but check this next part out. It's going to be important. So the, Lord's, the Lord is near to those who call on him. And then what it says is to all who call on him in truth. Okay, watch this. In truth. That word there, if you go in to see the root word and you look at the definition of it, what it's saying is it's, it's saying in sincerity or in the stability of your conviction. So it's, look, the Lord's near to those who call on him in a place of conviction or in a place of sincerity of heart. So the difference would be the person who's just religiously saying, yeah, Lord, everyone else in church is saying it right now, so I'm going to go ahead and say, be near to me. Yeah, come on, I, I want you to be close. That sounds good. Uh, right? That's that person. Eh, maybe that's not quite the heartfelt expression. Uh, but then you can hear the difference in the person that's legitimately saying, God, I need you to be near to me. Like, I really, really need you. And you can see the sincerity of that person's call Versus the person that's doing it because they know that's the right thing to say as a brother or sister in Christ. Oh, this is beautiful. I am blessed and highly favored. And it says the things it knows it's supposed to say. And it presents itself the way it knows others want it to be. Have you ever been at church? Somebody asked you how you're doing and you're like, you know what? I'm actually miserable. If you're truthful with people, you'll notice that it kind of does this. For the people that didn't actually want to hear how you were doing, it kind of does this. And we're like, oh, okay, uh, well, did you talk to, like, maybe Pastor or <laughs> Tim or Vincent? Or he's, he likes stuff like that. Like, and you, sometimes you'll see that somebody is kind of a little bit like, oh, uh, I wasn't really asking. Uh, it's just what you say when you're passing somebody. You know, and you see him, you're like, hey, how's it going, brother? Actually, it's terrible. Uh, I'm in the worst moment of my life. I just had the worst sin failure of my life. I'm experiencing deep suffering and consequence as a result of tribulation, and I lost my, you know, you go into all of it, and you're, the person's like, oh, actually, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to hear a truthful response about how you're doing. And this is something we experience, Right? We experience that relationships aren't always necessarily wanting to hear the truth of where you're at. 
And sometimes we do a really poor job of understanding that God wants to actually know. And he wants you to be honest about where you're at. He wants you to be truthful in your representation of who you are because he already knows the truth of where you're at. So how weird is it in relationship with God to act like you're doing well when he knows for sure that you are heartbroken, that you are grieving, that you are suffering? It's a weird, dysfunctional relationship to act in a way that is not sincere, to present yourself in a disingenuous way to God. Here's the interesting thing about God. He doesn't actually need you to act a certain way for him to be comfortable. Uh, But sometimes we take our patterns of relationship that we've learned from human beings and we put them on God. We're like, well, surely I can't present to my authority figure all of the ways I'm failing. They'll fire me. They'll bench me. They'll give me an F. They'll kick me out. They'll expel me. They'll suspend me. They'll do something in consequence and punishment to my life. So much of our human existence has taught us to conceal misbehavior and sin patterns. And then all of a sudden, God says to us, look, those who call on me, and not just call on me, but call on me in truth, I will draw near to them. So what's more functional in relationship with God is to be truthful. With human beings, maybe you've been trained and groomed not to be so truthful, to be truthful only when it makes sense. But with God, it's actually critical to a healthy relationship. Hey, listen, God's going to love you even when you lie and you misrepresent yourself, right? So we're not talking about having more love or less love from God. He loves you perfectly and unconditionally. So this is not a matter of you getting God's love. He loves you, period. That's the end of that sermon. The next one is healthy relationship with God looks like you learning to be truthful in a way you have not been able to be with people. Uh, So my wife and I, we really love each other, right? I think we have a good marriage. You'd have to ask her to get a witness on that. I think we do, and I think she would also say that, right? I don't want to ever speak for her, uh, but for the point of the conversation, I would say, look, even in the relationship with my wife, she'll have to actually think about how to communicate with me in a way that doesn't hurt me, uh, push me away, right? She has to actually think about how to communicate, represent truth to me, express to me, emote to me, right? And the same thing back to her, right? If she asks me a question, like, how does this dress look on me? You got to think about what you're about to say. You know what I mean? You got to really think about it because you're going to suffer the consequences of whatever your sentences are that flowed out of your mouth in that 16 seconds. And so we, ha- we have these relationships, even the best ones amongst us, we have to be cognizant. We have to be aware of how to communicate truthfully in a way that will have the effect that we desire. But with God, it's not so. He's perfectly secure. He's perfectly insecure. There's no shred of insecurity or fear of rejection, fear of failure in him. There's none of that that exists. So you can emote to him. You can communicate to him in a way that is raw, that is unfiltered. And I'm not just saying that you can do that, but what I'm actually trying to tell you that that is the most appropriate relationship approach with God. It's the most appropriate dynamic with God to learn to call on him 
in truth. So if you're going to pick up the phone to connect with God, make that conversation truthful. So if you hate someone, talk to them about it. If you have roots of bitterness and your language has become foul as a result, talk to them about it. Don't, don't gloss over all of the sin-death patterns of your life and just act fake with God. You can do it, but it's, gotten, it's not going to lead to a deep interaction with God in intimacy. Because an intimate relationship with God looks like us actually carrying a truthful representation in our relationship, in our presence time with God. So when you are in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, you're going to recognize that God is holy. You're going to feel it. And you might be invited to shame. You might be invited to condemnation. But I'm going to tell you right now that this isn't the language of God. That when God, who is perfectly holy, comes into your life and literally enters into the space of your conscious understanding and you're experiencing the spirit of God, he's also bringing the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, into that place. It's going to teach you all things. It's going to bring to remembrance all of these things that you need. So God's not just showing up to comfort you. He's showing up to transform you and to teach you. In Acts, it said, uh, it, it talked about the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the church multiplied. So the Lord or the Holy Spirit, I should say, is going to comfort you absolutely. When we experience God's presence, how many of you have felt comfort? It's like a big warm blanket and you're like, oh, this is so nice. It's so wonderful. It's like when Presley, I give her a hug, and she's like, ah. And you know, she, you can tell she's just kind of soaking it all in, you know? This one time I told Brightly, which this is a few years ago now, I told Brightly, who's my second oldest, I said, I said, Brightly, I want you to know something. I looked her in the eyes, and I said, I really love you. And at that moment, she did this. She took a deep breath. She went, and you could see that she just drank in the love. It sustained it. It impacted her in a deep way, right? So when your kids are zero to three, they don't really understand all your words at different times, but what they can absolutely experience is your love. They can absolutely experience it. It's a spiritual experience. God is love. It's a godly interaction exchange that we bring to our kids. When you pour out your love into their life, not only in words but also in deeds, they can feel it, and it's filling up their little love tanks. It's powerful. So when you experience the presence of God, all of a sudden you are impacted by this narrative that God loves you and it invites you, it provokes you to a place of transparency and vulnerability. And you begin to realize that you are truly loved when, check it out, you have to follow this. You realize that you are perfectly loved without condition when you invite God or allow God to love you in the places that you were loved conditionally. Understand this. You experience perfect love in the places when you've experienced broken love. This is so critical. It's so important, yet it's so devastatingly hard to experience God in, in a loving way in those places where you are the most afraid to be rejected, right? I'm talking about being truthful in the places where you are deeply fearing rejection. Like, if I show people this, surely they'll stop talking to me. 
Surely they'll think I'm perverted. Surely they'll think I'm disgusting. Surely they'll think I'm swine. And you let God into that space. You let Heavenly Father into that space. You let him love you there. It'll change your life. Here's an exercise. You could write this down. You could do it now. You could do it later. Invite God into the places that you feel the most shame. Write it down. What's the most shameful thing you've ever done that you still carry shame on? Invite God into that space. Let him love you there. And you're going to see a freedom that comes that will break up your fears of rejection and your fears of failure in a way that you can't experience until you let God love you in your unlovable places. This is what it looks like to actually interact with God's presence in a truthful way. Jesus confronts the Pharisees and Sadducees. What's he say to them? He said, you are whitewashed tombs. Meaning you have the front of this thing looking pretty, looking good, looking buttoned up. But behind the veneer, it's deplorable. It's deadly. It's cursed. It's disgusting. It's without life. So I want to encourage you, don't be whitewashed tombs. Just because you've learned this in your growing up, just because you've learned this in your behavior exchanges with people to present your best to people, maybe somebody even told you that, right? Fake it till you make it, baby. We've got all kinds of con artist Christianity ideas out there, you know? It's just like trick them. That's leadership, man. You just present something that you aren't, right? It's just like you just control your behavior around others, and that's great leadership, man. And it's like, what are we talking about? This is con artist Christian leadership. It, it, it's not truthful. It's not vulnerable. It's not sincere. And it's, it's representing uh, Christianity in a way that's impossible to ascertain. So if I present to you a veneer of leadership of Christianity uh, that is without error, that is without frustration, that is without failure, then all of a sudden I present to you an impossible standard for you to realize in your life. You're like, I can never be like that guy that only shows his life in 30-minute communication patterns of a sermon. Look, you come over to my house and you have dinner, and you're going to see an imperfect creature. You are. I, I, I might say something that I'm like, well, that probably, was, probably wasn't the best thing to say. You know, I might laugh at something that I'm not sure I'm supposed to laugh at. I, I've said it several different times. Look, I'm not even sure, and I'm, I'm being very, very truthful. Based on the idea of what a pastor uh, is interpreted to be in modern society, I'm not sure I'm a very good one. Because I don't put on the veneer very well, and I actually kind of disdain veneers. So I don't really want to act in a way that isn't truthful to my actual transformative journey. So don't act like Jesus, become like Jesus. The difference would be is that you're controlling your exterior veneer and behavior in order to look like Jesus. The other one is from the inside out, you are being transformed. One's an act of God, one's an act of religion. So when you're in the presence of God, drop all your religious BS. Drop all your equations for religious expressions and allow yourself to become like Christ in a sincere sanctification journey, which takes time. So let's talk about that. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Almost certainly I'm not going to get through all this. I did it in the first service in an almost embarrassing way. 
But in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, if I don't get through all of it, study it yourself and the rest of the chapter. It's all good. Actually, the whole thing is pretty good, that being the Bible. So Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. I consider myself to be a pretty confident person in life. I used to have a game with my friend. I'd say something. I'd realize, like, hey, maybe that's cocky. And I would say this thing, hey, was that cocky or confident? Most of the time, my friend would be like, that's cocky. And I'd be like, oh, well, I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> Truthful, maybe not. And so confidence. But where does this confidence come from that it's talking about here? Well, it's talking about, I knew I'd be tempted by these pretzels, man. Somebody put them in my pocket just to mess me up. <laughs> Turns out you need water after pretzels. <laughs> These pretzels are making me thirsty. Yeah. Seinfeld, anybody? Therefore, brothers, since I, sometimes I feel like when it gets real serious, we're talking about God like that. I was like, I, I got to get, let's laugh a little bit. You can, ha you can have joy. James Garfield said this, the truth will set you free, but, be but before that, it'll make you miserable. And I was like, ah, I can relate to that, man. You're like, wow, that's so true. And oh my goodness. That's terrible. Okay, let's do this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, our confidence does not come from religious power, that being misrepresentation of who we truly are. It doesn't say, hey, we enter the presence of God through false veneers, through whitewashed tombs, through putting on an act so that we can be accepted by God. Act like God and you get accepted by God's presence. And you get your confidence from acting, lots of acting. Guys, I'm terrible at acting. I hate acting for myself. I'm so impressed when others do it. Look, if you act to get into the presence of God and that's where your confidence comes from, drop the act. It doesn't help. It hurts your relationship with God. Let's be really clear. It hurts your relationship with God. For you and I to act holy when we are not holy hurts your relationship with God. Why does it hurt it? The Bible says, confess your sins unto one another so you may be healed. It is, through the, it is through the recognition of brokenness and sin and the communication of it in a vulnerable way that opens you up to the working of God in your life, that being healing and breakthrough. So when you and I misrepresent ourselves, say we are broken and we need healing and we don't talk like we are and we don't act like we are. In fact, we act like we're buttoned up. We act like we're healed, but we're really not. We're the blind man. We're the man that's paralyzed. We're the man with leprosy. Whatever it may be, when you act like you're healed and you're not, it stops you from receiving the power of God unto healing because you're acting like you don't need it. And the exchange of receiving the power of God is done through humility. God gives grace to the humble. He gives. He gives. You want God's healing? Humble yourself. You want God's breakthrough? Humble yourself. Talk about it. Talk about your sin patterns in a way that's very humbling. Sure, to trusted people, of course. I'm not talking about sloppy stuff and all that stuff. Trusted person, find them great, awesome. We got that done now. We're talking about it in the context of a trusted person. Find someone. Talk to them in a real way. Confess it in a real way. Represent yourself in a truthful way. At the very least, begin with God. Begin with the Holy Spirit. And understand that when you are interacting with God, when you're calling upon Him, call upon Him in truth. Who are you actually? 
Call him in that way. This is what he wants from you. This is what he desires from you. Your confidence to enter into God's presence doesn't come from your merit. It doesn't come from how strong you are, gifted you are, or mature you are. It doesn't come from the fact that you haven't made any really big mistakes, or you've got a lot of money, or a lot of resource, or you've got a lot of leadership. Your confidence to enter into the presence of God comes from the blood of Jesus. So if you understand in Ephesians, it says, in him we have redemption. Redemption through his blood that forgives unto the forgiveness of sins. So when you see that the blood of Jesus redeems you, and that's where your confidence comes from. But guys, check it out. Your confidence to enter into God's presence comes because of his blood. And then that same blood that gave you confidence to enter into his presence is the same blood that redeems you from that nature and makes you more like him. So this brings up something, right? This brings up the possible potential hypocrisy of our Christianity, which is to say, if I say that I love God's presence and I love God and I'm not becoming more like him and I'm not loving his people more, then I'm probably lying. And I didn't say this. Jesus said this, right? He's like, hey, if you, if you say you love me and you don't do my commandments, if you say you love me and you don't love people, then this is a lie. This is not truthful. This is in John. So if, if we understand this to be the case, then it should actually stop us in our tracks and humble us. That if we've grown uh, more unlike Jesus in our Christian walk, then it's not at all a Christian walk. If we've grown more hateful of Christians in our Christian walk, then this isn't at all a walk with Jesus. This is a walk with our flesh. This is a walk with our humanity, right? When we experience pain and tribulation and suffering from people, if it teaches us to hate people, we've made suffering our prophet rather than Jesus. We've made suffering and tribulation our author rather than the grace of God. So we've got to switch our prophet up. We've got to switch that thing which dictates our life, right? It's the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit. It's the truth of the matter and it's the comfort of God. It's his presence and it's his truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So we enter into God's presence with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. Once we're in the presence of God, it has an effect on our character. It has an effect on the way we live has effect on our truth. See, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the substance of those things becomes our substance in relationship with Jesus. So our way starts to become more like Jesus' way. Our truth starts to become more like Jesus' truth. Our life becomes his life. This is relationship with Jesus. This is intimacy. This is the byproduct of presence living. It's not sensationalism. It's not goosebumps. It's not any of these things alone. It is an entire life lived with God in his presence. And the byproduct of that is transformation. The byproduct of that is a different destination. Because if you're walking with Jesus, there is a way that he goes. Otherwise, he wouldn't say, I am the way. Right? There's an actual way Jesus goes. There's a pace. There's a rhythm. There's a destination. Maybe it's just a spiritual one and not a literal one for you. But 
When you're going the way of Jesus, there's an actual way. Which if there's an actual way, it means that the way is not just based on your own interpretation and will, but it's based on the will of God. So if you're like, hey, God just blesses whatever way I want to go, you're lying to me. He is the Lord of your life. I'm not. So I'm not the judge of that, right? God judges the heart. So between you and him, you know whether or not he's lording your life. This is why the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins. It doesn't say he condemns us. It doesn't say he shames us or guilts us. But absolutely, when you're in the presence of God, he'll convict you of your sins. And you know what? You ought to hope so. You ought to hope so. We've grown to be relatively allergic to conviction for some reason. I know some of the reasons. But we're allergic to it. We're allergic to God convicting us or confronting us or people convicting us or confronting us. Look, we're allergic to these things because usually in our fear of failure and rejection, we take it as like, oh no, this is the end. They've rejected me. My life is over. I have no value. They've rejected me. But when you're experiencing God's presence and he convicts you, he confronts you of your sins, it's not a message of rejection. It's actually an invitation to freedom. Like when you spend time with God and you realize you're really dirty, that doesn't mean you have to get out of the presence of that which is clean. It means that which is clean will make you clean. So if you're naked and destitute and dirty and you've got leprosy and you're paralyzed and you're wounded and you're bound and you're dark and you're jaded and you're bitter, write down the list. God knows the list already. So, so when you spend time in his presence, he begins to address these things through love. Because a loving father wouldn't leave his kids to just be cursed. A loving father doesn't leave his kids to be cursed by sin and its effect, even if it's a deserving effect. Even if you willfully sinned and entered into that disposition of sin, God doesn't leave you to be cursed by it, but again forgives you, again redeems you. And you know what's crazy? This is the interesting thing about coming to God in a vulnerable, truthful way. I think oftentimes we think he fatigues. He fatigues on this grace thing. He fatigues on this forgiveness thing. You know, there's been times in my life where somebody did the same thing so many times, and I started to get tired of forgiving them. Have you ever had this happen? Yeah. And you're like, how many times do we have to go around this thing? How many times do we have to do this? You know, and maybe you were that guy to somebody else. Sometimes when we don't, we're not like, oh, yeah, I got that guy in my life. Sometimes we're that guy, you know? So maybe you're the guy, or maybe somebody in your life has been the guy who just does the same thing over and over again, and they come and say sorry, and you're like, at some point, bro, you got to actually change. This is annoying. Have you ever had that with God, though, right? Have you ever had that with God where you're like, okay, God, this, this time is the real time. I know we're at like 982, but this is the real time. I feel it in this moment. This is real. And six seconds later, you do the same thing. And you're like, then you're really discouraged because you're like, I was like five seconds. My will made me free for five seconds. And then you start to begin and imagine in your head, well, every other leader in my life has gotten tired of me failing perpetually. So you begin to apply that expectation to your heavenly father, and you're like, surely he's giving up on me. 
Surely I must do what Adam and Eve did when they sinned, right? I got to hide from God. I figured out I'm destitute. I figured out I'm broken. Next best human response at that point, hide from God. That's what humans do. We're like, well, I'm broken. I'm imperfect. Surely I can't hang out with holiness. That's embarrassing. So our human understanding of how we behave and interact with standard usually has us hide when we are incapable of achieving that standard on our own strength and will. But in relationship with God, what does he invite us to do? Be truthful about it. Sit in that place. You're going to feel stupid. You're going to feel shame. You're going to feel all kinds of things I didn't give you to feel. But I'm still going to ask you to be truthful in this relationship. I'm still going to ask you to represent yourself truthfully in relationship, vulnerably in relationship. And call upon me with humility. Call upon me with the desperation that comes from a person who knows he's not strong enough to overcome his sin pattern. Recognizing truthfully that you're not strong enough to be like God on your own is one of the best things that can happen. So when you think he's fatigued on forgiving you, when you think his grace has surely run out by now and you don't want to take advantage of it anymore so you're going to stop talking to him, don't do that. Don't let the enemy trick you that the best thing to do in your perpetual failure state is to choose disconnect from God so as to self-punish yourself. Don't do that. That's a lie. God wants you still. Even in your perpetual sinfulness, even in lying to him continually over and over again, like, God, I'm going to figure this out. I promise I am. And he's like, no, no, don't distance yourself. Don't hide from me when you can't figure it out. Because how counterintuitive is that of us to hide from that which can change us because of our sin? When your sins are like scarlet, hang out with the one who has no sin. When you are deeply broken, when you are deeply wounded, when you are deeply bad and sinful and lustful, hang out with God. Enter into his presence with confidence, not because you're good, but because Jesus died for you and his blood gives you that opportunity to hang out with God when you're not like him. And then when you feel deeply grateful, good. Good. When you feel like you don't deserve it, awesome. Join the freaking club, man. It's annoying to me how much I don't deserve God's grace. You know that? I'm an athlete, man. I like to improve. I like to, to root out all of my weaknesses in whatever I'm doing. Do you know how annoying it is to live an entire life with God and never be able to root out all of the weaknesses on my own strength and will and focus and always rely on the grace of God? Do you know how annoying that is to me? Do you know how frustrating that is to me? Do you know how humbling that is to me? Half the time, I hate it. I really do. Half the time, I'm really frustrated that that's the scenario we're in. That I got to keep on being humble. I never get permission to have self-reliance and pride. You know how much I loved self-reliance and pride in my life? No, I'm being serious. I loved it. It was like a badge of honor for me to be better than others. Do you know how hard it is to live a life not being better than others? Like, it's really, really hard not to take my strength and confidence from that place and rather to take it from a place of not on my merit, but on God's son's blood. 
on God's son's blood. So look, I didn't nail Jesus to the cross myself. But I absolutely needed him nailed to the cross. You needed him nailed to the cross. We didn't kill Jesus ourselves. I know, right? But look, we needed that sacrifice. So we might as well have done it ourselves. Because we needed it in order for us to receive the grace and the redemption that comes from his blood. The salvation that comes from his blood. This is something to be received that leads to transformation. The gratitude and the humility should change the disposition of how you approach your life. That you're willing to give him your future. You're willing to give him your bank account. You're willing to give him your time. You're willing to give him your lust. You're willing to give him your fleshly pleasures. In exchange for his life, in exchange for a relationship with him. Look, it's not that big of a price when you realize what you're getting. When you realize the gift of his blood, the choice and or the price of your life is not that much of a price. It's, it's truly beauty for ashes. It's truly a, it's, it's, it's an unfair exchange. It's like when I make trades with my kids. I always win the trade. Because they don't know what they're doing. You know what I mean? I'm always winning the trade. When I play Monopoly Deal with them, it's this new game that friend Jason introduced me to, and then two years later, I finally got it, played it with my kids. I, I almost always win, or I win through whatever kid I helped win. So Monroe has beat all of us several times. And she loves it. She's like, I'm a victor. I'm a champion. But this is something beautiful, right? This is a horrible exchange rate for God. Our life for his life, this isn't fair. Yet it's through his blood that we have this confidence and we enter into his presence. So when we leave his presence and we choose to remain in our will and to live our life and to stay in that place, what we are doing is we are taking the comfort of his presence and we're rejecting the fear of the Lord that's supposed to also be experienced in that place. If you don't understand the fear of the Lord, if you don't understand what it means to be holy or walk this out with some kind of legalism, then I encourage you to pursue God in holiness and in purity. Like really study the word on it. Look, purity and holiness and the truthfulness of transformation, this isn't legalism and religious stuff. The precepts of God to be expressed by us and to be realized by us, these are real things. They're really important to our life. But don't act them out. Become them. Become them in intimacy. Become them in relationship. And when you are wondering when you're going to change, you're wondering how long it's going to take for you to get sanctified, don't leave his presence. Go back and share your discouragement. Go back and share your disdain for yourself. Maybe you've started to hate yourself because you're not like Jesus. And you continue to fail over and over again. And you're just like your leader told you you would be. Or your mom told you you'd be. Or your dad told you you were. Like maybe you're starting to really, really, really wrestle with discouragement because you think you're a crummy person. I want to encourage you. Go into his presence again. Go into his presence again. Don't hide who you are, but be washed by his blood. Be cleansed by his blood. Get grace through his blood. Get redemption through his blood. So this is how I want to finish. I want to pray for you, and I want to finish this time. The first thing I want to say, and, and probably the most important thing I want to say, and is, is I really want to invite every single person in this place to relationship with Jesus in a salvation way. 
or at the very least, renewed relationship with Jesus in a salvation way. I get the privilege to lead people in some kind of a salvation prayer opening statement of their relationship with God a lot. The, one of the beautiful things about it is that I get reminded of my commitment, of my salvation mantra, you might say, that I carry with me every single day, right? And sometimes you can start to forget life gets really, really busy. And so sometimes you forget that you've made him the way of your life, that you've made him your life, that you've made him your truth. Sometimes you can forget that. Sometimes you can lose track of it. So to say this prayer again is a reminder for all of us, this walk of salvation we do every single day. So with your head bowed and eyes closed, I, I want to invite you, if you want to give your life to Jesus, your whole life to Jesus, your way, your truth, all of it, everything. If you want to give your life to Jesus and you want to start with an opening statement today, I want you to take your hand and I want you to lay it on your heart. I want you to take your hand and I want you to lay it on your heart. And I don't want you to say this prayer with me or to even pray your own prayer right now because everyone else is. What, what I want you to do, and, and this is only this is the thing I want you always to do, is do it in sincerity or don't do it at all. Yeah, do it in sincerity or don't do it at all. I love you so much and God loves you so much. You don't need to fake it. You don't need to say it because others are saying it. Say it because you mean it. Say it because it's true. Otherwise, look for the truth of it. Look for a true connection with God. So I want to pray for you. You don't have to repeat this after me. What I want to do is I want to communicate a prayer that you can accept for your life. Not just in this moment, but for your life. Right? So the prayer may look a little something like this for you. is Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. All of it. My ideas. My emotions my history, my present, my future. I give you my life. I give you my way. I give you the will that I have, all of the convictions I carry, everything I want to do. I give you my way, God, and I embrace your way. And God, lastly, I give you my truth, and I accept your truth. I no longer live on the convictions that I have, but I choose to live on your convictions, on your truths. And I consider everything that isn't your truth a falsehood, and I surrender it to you, Jesus. Again, I give you my way. I give you my truth. I give you my life in exchange for your way, your truth, and your life. Today's the first day, Jesus. Today's the first, first day for some of us. Saying yes to this, living in this, choosing this, some of us, it's our first day, but it's definitely not going to be the last day. So God, I pray that by your spirit, you would seal this conviction upon our heart. That you would root us in a place of truthfulness, in a place of integrity, in a place of connection with you, God, that we would never turn our backs on. And if we do, God, pray that you would run after us again, grab our hearts again and help us return to you. Bless this house. Bless this family. Bless this church. Bless each person in this place that just committed their life to Jesus for the first time. Amen. Hey, I want to encourage you. If you prayed that, or if you need prayer 
healing, transformation, you need anything today, I want to encourage you to come to this place. We'll pray for you. We'll partner with you. We'll talk with you. We'll connect with you. We'll definitely make sure that there's a leader, somebody here ready for you. I'll also be up here. But I also want to encourage you to connect, to meet some folks at their different ministry tables. Even if you're just thanking them, celebrating them, loving on them. If you want to serve and you want to be a part of serving this community, there's many ways to do it. The lobby there. I deeply love you guys. You know that? You guys know that I love you? Yeah, you know I love you? Very, very much. And I pray that God will bless you. I pray that you bless somebody today and you love on somebody today before you go. If you need anything, again, I'm here. We're here. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.